was with our posh fella again last night and the back box is brutalised. Lovely. I'm like a pie ball and fingless I am. Fritting raggets. Right, we get the picture, Lindsay. Pigland's town, town full of pigs. Hello, Deadly Cuts, this is Michelle. In cinemas this week is Deadly Cuts by first-time writer-director Rachel Carey and starring Erica Rowe, Shauna Higgins, Angeline Ball, Thomas Cainborn and Gisela's Enya Mart. It's set in the fictional but very recognisable Piglin's Town. Deadly Cuts sees the ladies of the titular Salon battling gentrification, gangsters and the glitterati of the hairdressing community. After a local gangster attempts to extort the girls, it goes violently wrong. They have to save themselves, the shop and the local area by winning the fabulously titled Ahao competition. It's one of the funniest movies I have seen in a long time. One of the best Irish comedies in decades. It's charming, it's genuinely touching and it's absolutely hilarious. And it, there's so many characters in this film where you're, you know, it's one of them, you're, you're nudging the friends going, that's you, that's you. It's just tremendous, man. It's funny, it's feminist and it's just uniquely Irish and that's something that we haven't really seen in a long time we've seen you know, things like Wall Mountain Tyne or you know the kind of panto humor of Mrs. Brown's boys but this is just a, a cut above everything I've seen in a long long time and I really hope it finds the audience it deserves the cast are absolutely fantastic everybody gets their own moment and scene stealing but for me Erica Rowe is the breakout in this she plays uh, Stacy the, the main character in it and she just has this tenderness that you know, kind of contrasts with the, the bravado of the character. She is hilarious. She's heartbreaking. And it's one of those performances where you're just watching the screen and you're just seeing a, a star being born. It's something you're going to go back to and go, oh, geez, I remember seeing her in, in Deadly Cuts Forced. Or that'll be the kind of the, the hipster version of the night everybody says they were in the, the bar where you two played. I really think she has a huge, huge future in front of her. She is absolutely mesmerizing on the screen and no matter what's going on you can't help but be drawn to what she's doing there's so many little nuances and quirks the performance it's it's absolutely fantastic the film is absolutely brilliant and well well worth checking out on the screen because the an audience reaction to it is brilliant i got to see it on the uh the the cast and crew premiere there not too long ago and it's just th those waves of laughter and it's been a long time since I've heard that in the cinema. It's been a long time since I've heard like a really genuinely funny comedy. And being an Irish comedy, it's all the better. I got to speak to the cast. I got to speak to the director, Rachel Carey. I got to speak to Erica Rowe and Angeline Ball. And we got to talk about the film, the casting and marrying horses. Yeah. So here's my chat with the, the cast and director of Deadly Cuts. First of all, absolutely love the film, uh, but I do have a bone to pick with you, Rachel. Um, oh, I do. Right the bat, <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, I do a, a boxing class, and we have the the music on Spotify. I have a, a playlist, but when I pull up, it connects automatically to the Bluetooth. So I pulled up to the class there last week, and not realizing what I was playing, and walked into about twenty boxers standing looking at the radio as this is what the Logan does is playing yes. over the radio. Yes. And then trying to explain, oh no, it's, it's a, from a film about a lot of hairdressers. <laughs> ne never mind, never mind, never mind. So thank you, you for that. It's going to be the hit of 2021. <laughs> uh, it, it's all hips and shoulders and I can't dance. So I'm literally like... <laughs> <laughs> Just let the music move you, Andy. can't help with that track. Unfortunately, the rhythm is going to get you eventually. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, absolutely love the film. But one thing I found watching it, this is an audience film. And as I'm watching it, all I keep thinking is, I, I need to w- see this in the cinema. What yeah. was it like for you to go through them, like trying to get a film like this made and then have to sit back and wonder, is it ever going to be see the inside of a cinema screen? Oh, it was heartbreaking, you know, and I, it was because uh, you have so much momentum. Like it takes so long to actually get it made in the first place. And then we shot it and the energy around it and the buzz because there were so many of us and we all stayed in touch and, you know, it was so exciting. And then it was just the, the plug was pulled and, you know, we started looking at, we didn't know where it was going to appear, if ever, at one stage. And then it was going to be virtual. And it was closing gala at Diff, which is amazing. And I couldn't think of a better premiere for it than, than a Dublin Film Festival. Um, but it was bizarre watching it at home with like a glass of Prosecco. <laughs> you know, it just wasn't the same. But I suppose the only thing is, I don't know any different, I suppose. It's weird, like I have never seen it with a big crowd outside mm-hmm. of a few people in, in the post-production house. So it's kind of like, I don't know what to expect next week. Uh, it was disappointing. It was also great though. Like it still got a great reception, people watching at home. So I suppose the positive spin is, well, it can only get better, I hope. <laughs> um, so it just, we're so excited now about actually seeing it in real life. The casting in this is fantastic. Everyone seems to have their moment. Thomas Cainborn, I absolutely love the, the, the <laughs> girl who does the, um, the 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 red carpet. I can't think of her name off the top of my head. Now yeah, she's Catherine brilliant. But I said in the review, and I'm not just saying this because you're sitting here. Erica Rowe feels like this is something special. This is a superstar in waiting now. Comedy, drama, action. How much of that did you see before you cast her, and how much of this was kind of you know revealed to you during the course of the film? Oh, it's for me. I thought you were getting Erica to flatter. Yeah. <laughs> Erica, how great were you? I always knew it was going to happen, actually. <laughs> you should have just turned around and said, well, it's more Rachel's directing, like it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, do you know, I, so I'd never, I didn't know Erica. We were casting, um, we did like a production table read about a year before we shot. And I was worried about casting, particularly Stacey, because I, I hadn't seen, you know, the way you're so familiar with all the actors who are around, I was like, I don't know who this is. Like, I don't know. I couldn't pick, you know, your list of three that you normally would. I was like, she has to be authentic dove. She has to be funny. She has to look the part. And um, Ali Coffey, who did the casting for that table read, sent me a video Erica had done in her Bow Street course, which was a very dramatic, it wasn't a comedy piece at all, actually. And I was like, oh, this is really interesting. I was originally going to cast her as Gemma in that. And then I changed my mind last minute and put her in. And when she walked in the door of the table read in the hotel and you're all glammed up, I was like, oh my God, it's her. And then as soon as she opened her mouth, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I realized she was absolutely perfect. So I kind of stalked both Erica and Sean, I'd say for about a year. I was terrified they were going to get picked up and cast in something else before we could shoot. And then when we actually got the girls, so I, I kind of knew straight away that it was going to be um, the, Erica and Sean in particular. I hadn't met Lauren yet. And then as soon as we got on set, the chemistry between the girls only heightened their talent and they just played off each other and they just got better and better. And it was such a tough shoot, you know, it was demanding and they were just absolute pros, but also like so funny and brought so much life to it. So just it, like I'd like to take credit for discovering Erica. I'm not sure I did, <laughs> but I'm definitely going to be putting it on my CV. I think she's a massive future. No, genuinely, I do. Yeah. Massive you see a blush in there in the background, Erica. Um, (laughs) 
I heard an interview with you um, recently. You were doing a press for Well, That's What I Heard, and you were saying about the, the law of attraction. And one of the things you said on, you said, without anything, I will be on a show and I will do a film. Both of them have now come true. So I'm wondering, what are you going to ask the universe for next that in five years from now I can turn around and say, yep, she has that Oscar because she said it on my show? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. The lotto forced. <laughs> um, oh, God, I don't know. But just come back, it, it just really did feel meant to be when we all did Deadly Cuts together, didn't it, Rachel? Like, on the set, it, like... The, the laugh we all had, it was it was unbelievable. Every single person on that Rachel cast in that film that walked in just added a, a different layer to the crack. That yeah. the, that was it. Like it was just amazing. Like and yeah, it was an asshole free zone, wasn't it? There was there was just no dud. No, there was, and then you know that saying like, if you don't know who the dickhead is, it's probably you. Like it was <laughs> around, and I was like, oh god, I I must be the dickhead because there's no one. <laughs> So that's why I didn't get invited to set. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, speaking of kind of Sorry, the, the, law of, the law of attractions there, I, I was listening to an interview with you while you were still working in advertising and you were talking about you wanted to get a feature films off. One of them you mentioned was called Cutters, which I assume is what became Deadly Cuts. Yeah. The second one I'm very interested in, you said you're writing a script about a woman who wants to marry a horse to get a farm. God, yeah, that was How far along is that? I actually got shortlisted <laughs> for funding somewhere along the way. It was, I, it was a short that I was kind of developing into something else. Yeah, it was just one of the, I have a bit of an obsession with old country houses and I'm into horses as well. But that, I don't know why I just had this idea of uh, this um, kind of lonely woman and she wants to inherit this uh, old Georgian house, but some weird uncle leaves this clause that she has to marry the horse. I, I don't really have a rational explanation, exactly, <laughs> to be quite honest with you. Like now I say it out loud, I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> but um, uh, I don't know, it was something, I think I was interested in, in those, those property laws and the weird old uh, landowner rights and stuff like that I was kind of getting into. It. But uh, yeah, it was called the Horse and Massinal House. Uh, it's kicking around somewhere, I might. Um... I would love to know what has been going on in your head sometimes. <laughs> And the worst part is I was looking through your Instagram and every second picture is of a horse. So I was like, oh, she must be in the casting stage now. Yay! <laughs> Very good. Uh, one thing you mentioned there was uh, authenticity. My aunt had a hairdresser in Crumlin and I spent way too long there back in my frosted tip days which is why my hairline is receding and it was very authentic like I was watching the films like I know these women that's Sharon that's Grant, that's everyone that how but you're never making fun of them how important was it you for that to, to be authentic and be real with them and how much of it was based on your own experience uh, me uh, yeah, both of you uh, uh, yeah absolutely I, I would always say like authenticity was absolutely key for me I think there's too many fake Dublin accents on um, screen and uh, so authenticity for, for the Dublin element and also yeah for the I mean why would you not want to recreate the atmosphere that exactly that's in those hairdressers because as you say they're just full of life they're the heart of the community they're so funny um, so yeah, I mean, nothing's that heightened at all in there. And actually I felt yeah. like I owed little hairdressers like that. And I have spent a lot of time in them. I spent more time when I was actually writing the script and I think I kind of owed them, um, a service, you know, not to misrepresent them and to kind of capture the, the fun and energy 
and they're you know they're not just small little rundown salons they're actually amazing little places with really professional um hairdressers in them you know erica did you have to look did you do much research in that standpoint to get the authenticity you just spent a lot of time hanging out and i was gonna say peter marks i'm not even sure that's still going <laughs> Yeah, like I, I've gone to get my hair done down in a place in Ballyferma for a long time called Rum Toffee. And that's when I, when I first read the script as well. I was like, this just reminds me of this, this hairdressers and the, the quickness of it, the slagging, but no one ever gets offended by the slagging. It's just, it's, yeah. So, and the L ones that go in there into these shops are so funny. Like they had a heart of it and you can see that so much in, in the script as well in the movie. It's amazing. This is your first uh, feature, right? I think it's your second, Erica. Working with people like Angeline Ball and Polly McLean, who have you know close to a hundred films between them, is there any intimidation or even imposter syndrome working with people like that? Is there any nervousness for you, Erica, as an actress, and you, Rachel, having to give these people who've worked with well, Oscar winners direction? I, I, morning, I knew that I was meeting Angeline. I was like, oh my god, like she's the first one of the first women that I seen. In a, in a film with the same accent as me and I've followed her throughout her whole career and I've admired her from afar and I remember the first morning being collected and I knew I was going to meet her that morning I was like oh my god my nerves were gone and then as soon as I met her she was just this lovely normal lady like and she just put, put us at ease so much and she's so much crack it was, so yeah initially there was but after that I was like no there's, there's no divas here yeah. <laughs> I think I yeah likewise like Angelina is just I was nervous like when she got sent the script she ner- she came back really quickly and was like she wanted to talk on Skype and I remember I had dry mouth sitting in the office out in Ardmore going gonna go <laughs> with Angeline Ball and as Erica says she's just the loveliest sometimes I can I kind of think of my experience like really professional actors they tend to be so nice like I think they you know you don't get places being an asshole you know, and being difficult, maybe. That's a theory I'm floating at the moment anyway. Like, but Angeline was just so easy to work with and so amenable. And, you know, she had so much to give about the character as well, which was great. And, you know, with her experience, she was able to do a lot of that. Um, But she never, you know, she never, um, you know, questioned any of my decisions, except in a good way. So just an absolute pro. Pauline as well, couldn't believe it when Pauline said she'd do it. You know, same with Victoria Smurf, and I was like, oh my God. And then Pauline, Eric, remember the day Pauline came in to the pre production? She's just gas, like absolutely gas and just a lunatic, you know? So she was just completely up for the crack. And luckily, that was the character I'd written for, her, was one where, you know, there wasn't a huge amount of emotional depth that had to be mined out of that. You know, it was really just like, do you know what, Pauline? You do you. You're a comic genius you get up there and, and do what you need to do. So the, I didn't really have to uh, push and pull her to a great deal. I just had to let her off the leash really. And that's how I got the best out of Pauline really. Yeah. Amazing. So you getting giddy in the background there. The, 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 you have any good memories from uh, from I'm just Mrs. thinking <laughs> of Pauline and Rory going around when we were at the Air Hair competition and the stuff they were coming out with. Like, <laughs> oh my God, <laughs> they're ghastly. <laughs> They were ad-libbing um, in a lot of it, like what we just let them go around and actually judge the competition and say whatever they wanted to say and not a bother on them. They ju- we couldn't stop them, could we? I had, no. to say, I had to call cut about three times. 
and they just want to Pauline wouldn't go home I don't think <laughs> <laughs> if I remember right she would like, not do another day we're like no <laughs> but she was gas. it was hard to keep um like people the laugh we had on set overall but the days in our hair with Pauline were particularly gas weren't they Erica like oh trying God. to stop everyone laughing it was it's, so it cool. seems like they weren't afraid to go too far. Sorry, what were you saying? No, go ahead. No, I was just saying they weren't afraid to go too far anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> I just like the sets, and even from talking with uh, with the two of you here, it just seems like it was great crack. As a writer and director as well, one, were you in any way precious about what you'd written? And two, was that something before you filmed you thought, right, I need to make this you know, a fun and inclusive set? Or was the, how was the pressure dealt with there? Um, I think a bit about, I think I probably was, you know, I had a lot of first time filmmaker nerves, um, obviously. So I was, I think when you've written something and lived with it for so long, you have, you're so familiar with it. You do, you can, there is a danger you become a little bit precious. And I think I learned that as I went um, to kind of let go a little bit um, of that. And also because like actors just have great ideas, especially the caliber of actors mm. we had on set. So. Um, Am I answering the question? Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Was I precious about it? <laughs> probably a bit. Yeah, I probably was a bit. But I think that more came from kind of nervousness more than anything. And I think actually something I learned from Daddy Cuts is probably to kind of relax that more and work with, let the actors fly a little bit more. Because whenever we did with the likes of Pauline and stuff, it was great. Um, but I think, you know, I just wanted to get the film made on schedule. And, you know, we were under a great deal of time pressure. So for this, I was probably a bit like, give me the words that are on the page kind of thing. Um, yeah. But Rachel, you, you, did, you did trust us like loud, you, and you made everyone feel so comfortable. That's one thing that I'm looking back on now, just with you even saying that. I never felt like you were precious with it. It always just felt like you you were very, um, you trusted everyone so much. And as well, like the script and the, like, there, there wasn't much else you could do. It was brilliant. Like every, every line that, that was, was funny, like, you know, so there, was, there was no need to ever change on your Rachel's writing or anything like that it was it was amazing yeah I know Eric you and Thomas write things together and there seems to be this kind of change. Thomas writes them I, I I'm, I'm not I'm not a writer. you're the muse, you're the muse. <laughs> there does seem to be a kind of an identity shift in, in Irish films now it used to be you either had to adapt a Roddy Doyle book or you had to do something like a drug crime drama but even this year like alone we've seen Deadly Cuts herself Wildfire films that wouldn't have probably been made five, 10 years ago. What do you think has been the, the kind of the shift and change in those type of films? Like Erica, for you as an actress, these roles that wouldn't have been available and Rachel films that wouldn't have been made previously. Um, well, I, I just re remember when I first read the script, that was one of the first things that popped out was, at me was like the working class female voice, which we haven't seen probably since, like the, in comedy anyway, since mm -hmm. probably the snapper and stuff like that. And that, I... What, 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 I don't really know, like, if, um, I don't really know what I'm trying to say here, but I think it is, I think, you know, in my opinion, maybe it could be wrong, but I think it's that there's a lot more females writing and directing, and I don't know, maybe that's it, I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a, I think there's a lot of, um, there's been loads of factors, I think there's been, a, obviously, a big push behind female writers and, and directors but also as, as I think it was Nicola Cockland our Derry Girl said we've got the receipts you know they're commercially successful uh, and there's a massive appetite because internationally there's just been such amazing female-led 
uh, both comedy and otherwise mm. shows and films made, um, that it's just opened up a floodgate and there's been initiatives and, and incentives and stuff like that, obviously, which is great. But also I think the proof is really in the pudding at this stage in that the work is good, the work is commercially successful. And so um, more and more, and it's not, I think it's not just women. I think we're kind of, especially in this era, like we're consuming so much TV and film like you can't just keep churning out the same thing and expect to get an audience. Yeah. And I think Ireland's changed. It's time the kind of films we made changed. And I think audiences are more than ready. They're like, don't serve me the same shit, you know? Um, so yeah, it's an exciting time, I think, for everyone. The, the, the stat I like to throw out is four of the top five films in the last 10 years, grossing films are female-led, but only 7% of them are female directors. Really? Yeah. Is that like... It, like uh internationally yeah so if star wars beauty and the beast wonder woman frozen they're all kind of female-centric movies but only seven percent of film directors are given those opportunities right so, okay so that's yeah. your, your background in advertising you can use that now for your, your next pitch <laughs> Thanks, yeah, it's good um speaking of um your, your background in advertising how difficult was it to sell this film because i even noticed myself doing the review there's nothing really like this it's kind of it's heightened but it's grounded it's like the, the thing i came up with was arrested development meets little miss sunshine oh yeah Arre any sort of comparison <laughs> with arrested development is is uh, yeah it was um you know what i was forced to um sharpen in my own head what it was because you have to pitch it and you have to be able to tell people in a nutshell what it what it is um so was it hard to sell a little initially because i think i just had a gloss of an idea where i was like vigilante hairdressers and you know it's a good elevator pitch people are into it but i think what i really had to work on was um you know i was kind of i went down the road of like the full monty and and those more sort of save the town like comedies but that have something to say and actually have characters who are trying to achieve something and so I really had to look back and go what is this actually about that was the kind of hard work I had to do and as a filmmaker what do I want to say and I know it's comedy and it's a great laugh and it's a ridiculous film in many ways but I do hope that it's saying something as well and about Dublin and about underrepresentation about classism and all these sorts of things so I think once I kind of got my head straight on that then that really helped that that's how you sell a film really like you, you need to have what's funny what's interesting but you really have to know what it's about and I think that's that's what kind of got it through for me was that element I know your sister Anna is a writer and I saw in one of her books there's an evil sister called Rachel was there ever any temptation to have a, a character in this called Anna who, who meets a gruesome end no I think I've done it to her before I think I put her in an ad before I think I used Anna I I'm really bad for using people I know's names and it's it's laziness it's like like my hairdresser in Dylan Bradshaw's called Gemma so there's a gem in the script. I have a friend called Stacy who had a nanny up in Ballymun who was thrown out flats. So, <laughs> so they all kind of, you know, uh, I always know someone. I, it, it's never weaponized like that. Um, yeah, I, you know, I definitely, I don't think I put an ad in it at all. So no, I got her back before in an ad. Oh, I'm trying to start a, a sister feud there. Um, <laughs> Film does what, what is next for both you, Erica and, and Rachel? What are you hoping to do next over the next 12 months? Um, well, me and Thomas, that you know, we have a Thomas Cameron, we have a theater company together, so it's called Breadline, and we're hoping to do 
few exciting bits over the next few months. And I also just finished filming on a film called Sunlight, um, written by Alva Kjogan and directed by Claire Dix. And that's Sarah and Liam Carney and Barry Ward. So um, God knows when, when it'll be out, but it's only stopped finishing uh, filming, sorry. So uh, yeah, we'll just have to see, see what happens now. Um, I am. I have. I'm actually on maternity leave technically at the moment. I had a baby. Oh, congratulations! Nine weeks ago. Thanks a million. Um, but I do have some stuff in the works. So we have Deadly Cuts. The series is sort of being developed with a view to kind of getting out to broadcasters and and looking to kind of take that further, which I would love to do. Um, I have the next female comedy ensemble film, the first draft written. So hoping to move that kind of forward next um, and then I have a few other projects actually working with Thomas Kane Byrne as well on a play himself and Erica did that I just loved called Say Nothing to No One about inner city shoplifters and um, we've been doing a bit of work together on potentially adapting that into a feature which I would love to do as well so just just loads of stuff on on the burn um, just can't wait to make something else really I always absolutely lit up there when you said Deadly Cuts the TV series I, <laughs> I'd love to see more of those characters Erica and Rachel absolutely love the film best of luck with it thanks so much absolute pleasure to speak to you both you too Andy thanks a lot an absolute pleasure to speak to you here today thank you um, so much you're someone who has a huge background in music on and off the screen. You have two singles of your own last year that I've been listening to religiously this week. Yeah. So someone with all that experience, where does the Logan rap rank for you in the annals of musical history? What a question. Um, <laughs> oh, you know what? I love it. I absolutely love it. My kids were singing it. My, my kids watched uh, Deadly Cuts. Just we got this kind of link for it. Um, and they were like, we were all singing it going around the kitchen. This is what the Logan does. <laughs> I think it's fabulous. I love it. And I think it's so, it's, this is probably going to sound really wrong, but like, it's so bad, it's good. You know yeah. that way? But I'm really hoping that on the night, we have our premiere soon and on the night or after every screening, and I hope they put on kind of late night screenings at the weekend mm. of this, that people are standing up in their seats, rocking out to, this is what the Logan does. <laughs> I was telling uh, the director, Rachel Carey, I uh, go to boxing and I have like a, we have a playlist on Spotify for that. But when I pulled in, it connects automatically to the speaker. Yeah. I was listening to the Logan does. As I walk into the, the there's like 20 people boxing training. Everyone has completely stopped looking at the speaker going, what in the name of God are you listening to? Oh my God. <laughs> so I forgot to, yeah. <laughs> and then trying to explain, oh no, it's a film about hairdressers. That, just, just forget it, forget it. <laughs> yeah, but listen, I think that's quite a good bit as well. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm known for um, strange gym music. My, Mariah Carey Fantasy made a, made a few playlists as well. That probably shouldn't be well, in Well, you know what? <laughs> whatever gets those juices going, that's the main thing. You know, uh, whatever gets you up and running and doing it, doesn't matter. My daughter, actually, I share my Spotify with my daughter. And uh, sometimes I'm putting on some WAP music or something. And she, I just see it suddenly going off. I'm not going to, you know, Simon and Garfunkel, but something <laughs> Because she goes, then I get a text. That's inappropriate. <laughs> yeah. Um, speaking of inappropriate, a few inappropriate uh, women in, in Deadly Cuts, I would say. What attracted you to that film? Uh, it's, you know, a first-time writer, director, a relatively inexperienced cast. What did you see in this that attracted you to it? 
I saw the humor and I saw the sadness as well. And I saw the, the kind of pathos and how people, you know, can kind of overcome adversity really and just kind of get along through get through very tricky situations by their wit, their humor, their, you know, banding together, that kind of thing. And I read it and I just thought, I have to be in this. The one-liners really got me. You know, I mean, you know, there's one Michelle says as well, and I love it. It's like, you're not a lump of toast, Aunt <laughs> fold them in half, you know? So I, I, every single term, there's a one-liner, you know, where the, you think, oh my God, this is all going horribly wrong. There's something else to kind of take you out of that kind of dismal, you know, state. It's like some, you know, somebody always, you know, punches it. It's very punctuated, I think, throughout. And it goes at a lick. And I just... You know, I just really, I thought it was brilliant. And I'd be disgusted if I wasn't playing Michelle. Like, if I'd gone to see this film, I would have walked out of there. Sometimes you see films and you're like, God, I could have played that part. I would have said, I could have played that part. Straight on the phone to the agent. Why wasn't I in this? Yeah, totally. <laughs> Something I, I loved about the film is it it's a very authentic view of kind of, you know, inner city or north side girls. My auntie owned a, a salon in Crumlin. And watching the film, I was like, I know that girl. I know that girl. I, I all picked up on it. I know you're a, a huge proponent of your own area. You seem to be on the, the cabaret tourism board. <laughs> Anytime I hear you speak to us. And we're not paying me a penny. <laughs> like about that. I'll have to stop and start charging, you know. <laughs> Is that something that appealed to you as well? The fact that it was a kind of a more um, authentic kind of voice. These women, they weren't being made fun of. It was kind of the real yeah. representation of them, which is something yeah, I, I, I haven't really seen in a while. Yeah, I definitely think so. And I think when I met with Rachel, we met kind of on a Zoom and she kind of said, you know, and it is true um, that a lot of, you know, you'll always get actors that are maybe middle class actors that always go for the working class parts and play them. And ironically, most some of the middle class actors that you see in England and all that, they're very kind of middle to upper class playing kind of in Guy Ritchie films or whatever. Um, but you never quite see the opposite. You never quite see the working class actor or person, you know, going up to the middle class role and there should be more of that but also that you know Rachel was saying that you know during kind of um uh when she was prepping for this or doing maybe auditions that you know people think that they can come in and just the more aggressive they are in the role that that's what they kind of encapsulates the working class or the north sider and you're like well not necessarily you know we're not all fighters you know it's it's not about aggression um, and I, I really loved that. It's it's a kind of trying to be a true representation of our humor, of our wit, of our um, banding together. You know, yeah. uh, I quite I, I just really, you know, I'm a champion of that, you know, and I'm not obviously I don't want to stay in that corner and, and kind of point my finger at all other people and have a chip on my shoulder. But, you know, and that for me is nice to do. And now I just want to go and do a posh role. And <laughs> <laughs> you know? um, I spoke, like I said, I spoke to the director, I spoke to Erica Rowe as well. And they both spoke of kind of that intimidation factor of the first time they met you. Rachel saying it's her first time directing Erica. I think this is her second film that she's been in. And you who've been in, I think, close to, to 50 movies now you've worked with you know, people like Alan Parker, John Borman. And they said, there's like, OK, now there's like a serious actor on the set. Now, what, what do we do here? Do you bring that on to the not the, that intimidation factor, but that sense of 
you know, experience and wanting to be you know, the captain of the team, essentially? No, I don't. Uh, because, you know, I'm a great believer that um, films aren't just the actors that you see in them. You know, if it's a Tom Cruise, what you're forgetting is that it's not just Tom Cruise that made this film. It's the person that is driving over there at three o'clock in the morning to turn the heating on or the lights on in the trailers or, you know, the person that's bringing you to the set. Uh, the person who's doing your makeup and hair, the person who's ironing your costumes. It, it, it takes a village to make this film. It's not just one person. And I think I've never been growing, well, not growing up in the industry, so to speak, and learn, you know, um, earning my stripes. You get to see how people work and you get to see how some people work that you don't really like the way they work. And you get to see people that work and you really kind of admire them because they don't change and they don't put their rubbish on. I was gonna, yeah. I had to kind of quickly, like in my head go, <laughs> can I say any, you know, words here? But they don't put their stuff onto other people mm. and, you know, pull rank. And I think, I think it shows as well, like um, even in this film, I think if anybody get, went in there pulling rank it just wouldn't mm. be the same kind of film I always think there's a magic that happens when everybody's on the same hymn page and you're just there like everybody else trying to make this do the best work you can mm. and make this film happen for everybody you know yes. so no I don't I I you know I like to think that I'm not you know I'm not an there's no airs and graces I think and I think that's well, some people really like the airs and graces and like people bringing them coffee and all that. But for me, you know, if I can do it myself, I'll do it myself. <laughs> yeah. And, and to be fair, Rachel did say that. She said the set was a, was it a dickhead free zone and you were very much at the front of that. <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, another film that you worked on, which maybe wasn't as pleasant, I don't know, was working with Marlon Brando on Divine Rapture, which never actually got finished. What was that experience like working on, on that film with him? One of the, the well, icons of cinema. Yeah, it was a bit surreal, you know, to be honest with you. And it was very much, there you go. And it might not necessarily have been Brand Marlon, I say Brando, <laughs> Marlon Brando himself, you know. But the fact that, like, there was all these radios and people were radioing each other saying, and they called him the Eagle, because somehow or another, when, when you're dealing with somebody that big, this paparazzi, yeah. and there's always somebody on set, and I, I learned this, as well, I didn't even know this, that um, that will leak the call sheet for the next day. Mm. So the paparazzi know when they're coming in and where to be and all that. So for instance, even like with, um, when I was working with Kat and, uh, you know, Jesse Wallace and stuff mm. on at Redwater, is they had, they called them different names so that the paparazzi wouldn't descend on them on a beach scene or whatever. But yeah, there was always where the eagle has landed or the eagle hadn't landed and decided not to come into work that day, <laughs> you know? Um, and uh, yeah, it was amazing. And I got to speak to and act with Johnny Depp and Deborah Winger. And that was pretty incredible. But because it never really, you know, got out of the starting blocks, it was only kind of there for two weeks and then it was gone. I did get to do a scene with Marlon Brando, which was incredible. And I got to speak to him and introduce to him and all. But um, yeah, it felt a little bit surreal, all of it, you know? Uh, I think nowadays as well, I think, well, obviously 
you know, when people have big budgets, when you're on a small budget thing like Deadly Cuts, there, there is no radios saying the eagle is coming in to work. You, you didn't have a code name on set. No. Not to go in, you know, you have to, you know. Another thing I absolutely love about your, your Instagram is your fondness now for comic book shops. Yeah. Is there any character in particular you're a fan of or any figure that you has a, a special place in your heart? Well, I love Shira, you know, I love them um, and I love, um, I really like uh, Wonder Woman. I love Wonder Woman. I love, um, well, I, I have to kind of get back into it. Years ago, I used to collect these comics called, comics called The Misty. I don't know whether you ever knew, uh, remembered. Mm. It was like in the 70s, 78, 79. And I collected them religiously um, from, from the first one to the last one. And I kept them and they're beautifully illustrated and beautiful. I kept them under my bed. And I really, I just can only blame hormones on it. For when I, <laughs> I just got them and threw them out one day and I'm still trying to find them. I still go on eBay and I buy like some of the, the annuals cost like a hundred quid now. Yeah. But I love comic book shops. I could spend, do you know uh, Forbidden Planet in London? Yeah, I do indeed. We've won I, it here as well now. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, well, the next time I'm in Dublin, I'll have to... Um, <laughs> go down there but my son loves manga and so he's all over in the manga section yeah. and I'm in just all the kind of old Marvel um and DC um and I absolutely love there's a ba- the basement part in Forbidden Planet I could just mm. be there all day and you get these fantastic little pack so it's a kind of random pack for 10 quid in, in mm. oh I love them so much <laughs> and I would love to um well, I don't know whether I'm a bit old now, but I'd love to play one of those characters. You know, and when you see, um, you know, the Marvel series, yeah. I just, you know, we watched recently, oh God, the last Marvel one, the, last, the most recent Shang-Chi. One. Yes. And, and also there's, a, a, I don't know whether you know, there's, there's a new cartoon out that's like, what if? Have you ever watched Yeah, it? I have. I've watched them as well. Yeah. I, I watch all of these. <laughs> yeah. and that, that's incredible because that's oh. a whole different, like, well, what if this happened? Yeah. And I love the characters. And funnily enough, I teach Pilates. And I'm always thinking that, you know, I'd love to get a Pilates uh, studio for myself. Um, and I would just fill it full of um, comic cartoon characters and cartoon comic book characters all over the walls. That kapow! <laughs> but I love them and uh, I don't really have a favorite and I don't really have like with the women I you know I love um I think Wonder Woman and Shira and there was oh there's so many you put me on the spot now and I, <laughs> I was gonna say blonde hair Pilates instructor speaks French you could definitely be a villain in a Wonder Woman film <laughs> oh you know show where it where is it but and I love that I love the way as well that they're very Sometimes my I say to my son, I'm like a bit shocked at some of the, he, he watches some manga as well as, uh, you know, say the what if. And I'm like, hmm, that's a bit um, risque, you know, yeah. can be a bit sexist. But also I love the empowerment of the women as well. And they look as if they, 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 they lift weights. Yeah. <laughs> so I like that. Just finally there, speaking of collectibles, I had obviously, a, I used to collect the cinema poster, so I had the commitments poster on my wall of you, which is, I think, the first person I've interviewed whose poster I've had. Turns out I actually had two posters of you on my wall and didn't realise. I had a Thumbelina poster and didn't realise you were actually the the model, the life model for that character. Yeah, that's right. 
Um, I worked for Sullivan and Bluth quite a bit. I did the uh, rock a doodle, and there's like a little um, see this like my love of cartoons and comics. <laughs> Go back a long way. Um, yeah, I I worked for um, I was in rock a doodle, and I played this chicken, which is kind of very sexy. She's in almost like a the fishnet tights and the leotard, and she dances. Um, and then uh, I did some voice stuff with the Pebble and the Penguin, because that's when Sullivan and Bluth was in Ireland quite a bit. And then they offered me Thumbelina, which, you know, because my, my, my background is dancing as well. Um, and I, that took about, God, six months, eight months even. Uh, and I was on green screen and I had to wear like a big, like back in the day, to wear a big X. Yeah. A black X and uh, down my arms where my arms would be or my legs and we literally did every scene and my mouth would move all, all of the you know the dialogue and everything and if you look really closely my sister's saying oh my god that's you <laughs> some of the expressions are me they're not just cartoon expressions they're things that I would have done you know so and I see Andy Serkis doing that and getting Oscar nominated for it. So you were 20 years ahead of your time for that I'm sadly not being paid that kind of money yet, you know but I'd love to work with him. I, I love all that stuff. Um, so my, I think, yeah, my dream is to eventually do be in a Marvel or be in a DC or be in something that's kind of fantasy like that. It started here, so I, w- I want an agency. I'll take five yeah, percent of that. Now. <laughs> Unfortunately, time was up against us. It was an absolute pleasure to speak to you. Thanks so much. I love the film, oh, and best of luck with it. Yeah. Cheers. Thank you. And next time I see you, we will chat about those Marvel and. Um, and DC. What's your favourite, by the way? Uh, I'm Batman. I'm <gasps> definitely team Batman. Uh, Catwoman as well is a good one for me. Yeah, yeah I think that was as well. I think I, I saw Catwoman at just the right age, which is why my Michelle Pfeiffer crush uh, yeah, rages oh, to this day. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah.